Well, good morning. Thankful to have everybody here this morning at Redeemer City Church. If you don't know me, my name is Matt Hall. I am one of the leadership residents here. Uh, what that means is that here at Redeemer, uh, I've been charged with serving in all kinds of capacities, and also I'm training for pastoral ministry uh, and what that looks like for me and my family as we are in this church. And I'm super thankful for all of you because really, you guys as a congregation uh, make that a joy uh, and a privilege. So this morning, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 13 specifically. And we've been looking at the life of David, the shepherd warrior king. And what we're going to be doing this morning, we're taking a break from the standard series this morning. uh, And we're going to be looking at a king, indeed. We're going to be looking at a shepherd, indeed. But really what we're going to be looking at is the very king David himself was looking forward to, the King Jesus. So I'll take a moment, let you guys get to where you need to be in the text. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And when everybody's there, I'll start reading. Hear what the word of God has to say for Matthew chapter 9. So he got into a boat crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, He's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, Or say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, sitting at the toll booth, and said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word to God's people. It's very easy for us as human beings to forget how we got into a right standing with God in the first place. We get saved We try to fix behaviors. We try to work on our external image. Uh, We try to fit into church culture when none of these things should be the desire of our heart. In fact, we're exposed to God's grace when we encounter Jesus. And since God's grace is not based on our merit, 
why would we then look to things that provide us merit? We're not met with a list of rules whenever we encounter Jesus. We're met with a person. And even more so, we're met with a community of people like us. To give some context to the current scene, at this point, Jesus has finished preaching his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We, back in a while ago, we studied the Beatitudes, which come from that sermon. Uh, Three chapters long, Matthew 5 through 7, of Jesus essentially taking very core teaching that was instrumental to the Jewish faith and practice, and Jesus is taking it to a heart level. What he's doing is it's no longer righteousness by the law, but rather we can understand from Jesus' teaching and what he was pushing the Jewish people to understand from his teaching is that a Jew is not one outwardly. He's one inwardly. In fact, his faith in God is the inward spiritual life pouring into the outward not the opposite. And so the Pharisees, who are the religious elite of the day, are receiving Jesus' teaching as polemical. It's as an attack on everything that they've upheld for the sake of their own gain with their religiosity. And then we see Jesus go back to his hometown. We see Jesus go back to Nazareth after traveling over by boat. And what's amazing is that these friends of this paralyzed guy show up. They know that Jesus has gone into other towns and he's done some miracles. They've heard the testimonies and they show up bringing their friend. And all that this man has to offer is his paralyzed body. He, he can't plead to Jesus about how good he is. He doesn't have what the Pharisees often try to do to the Lord. And Jesus responds to their faith, the faith of his friends, the faith of the paralytic. And his response to the paralytic is what we don't want to miss. He looks at him and says, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. The statement that Jesus made was so shocking to his hearers that the immediate response of the Pharisees is, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They jumped to blasphemy because they knew that only God could do such a thing. And this brings us to our first point. Jesus looks at us with mercy and forgives our sin. Jesus looks at us with mercy and forgives our sin. In Christ, we're no longer defined by our sin. Now, it is indeed a humbling reminder that we didn't come into renewed fellowship with God in strength. We came into renewed fellowship with God as weak and helpless in need of a good friend to carry us to healing. And that's who Jesus is and what he does for us. However, and maybe even in this room this morning, 
there's a group of people that that rubs the wrong way. Because he's divine, Jesus was able to perceive that the Pharisees were doubting the validity of his declaration of forgiveness. Notice that they did not doubt the miraculous work that Jesus did. They can't because they watched him do it. They doubted the validity of his ability to forgive sins. And Jesus responds to them by asking, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? As if Jesus had to ever consider what was easy. Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. Now, I don't know about you guys. I try to be a close reader of my Bible. I try to be consistent in really doing some discovery work in the text as I'm reading. Not just when I'm preaching, but every day. And y'all, for a long time, that baffled me. I did not understand (laughs) what that meant for the many years that I've gotten to read the scriptures. Um, The latest podcast episode for Filter that Aaron did with J.P. Moreland was incredibly helpful for me, and I wanted to talk about that real fast. If you notice, when Jesus does miracles, he doesn't do them to show off. And at this point, especially in history, a lot of people that had a pantheon of gods, a lot of different ethnic groups, their gods would show off their divinity through their power. And here, the true and living God shows off his mercy through his power. Jesus isn't doing this miracle to be neat, if you notice. That's why he said, what's easier to say, to tell the truth or to talk about the spectacular? What's easier to say, to show mercy or desire sacrifice? Jesus looked with this man with mercy. And when he's told to get up, The crazy thing is that he does it. He gets up and he goes home. So rather than Jesus trying to prove that he's some fantastic superhuman, he's proving that he is the son of God because he can declare somebody's sins to be forgiven. And it's shown in their physical restoration. And the question I have for all of you this morning is that if you were to take the paralyzed man out, and insert yourself in that story, would somebody know that that is your testimony? Is that what people see when they see you? In fact, if you were to tell them that you were a follower of Jesus, by your life, would they see a Jesus who heals, who empowers, who gives you the ability to witness to his great salvation, or would they see a Jesus that can do something really neat? You see, this paralyzed man was in full view of the people that hated Jesus. But when he was called, when his sins were forgiven by the living God incarnate, he got up and he walked. Don't be mistaken, brothers and sisters and friends in this room. This kind of healing has nothing to do with the paralyzed man. It has everything to do with the grace of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus' name that was given to him by instruction from the Lord 
to his parents meant that he would forgive people's sins. The name of Jesus is polemical to some, but it is healing to so many others. So I ask you to do this this morning. I'm going to ask you to receive the forgiveness of sin that Christ offers. If you know that you're like the paralyzed man, you come weak with nothing to offer. Receive the forgiveness of sin that Christ offers. If you come here this morning and you think that you're well off without Jesus, receive the forgiveness for that arrogance that Christ offers. If you come here this morning thinking that there is no way Jesus can deal with the mess that you are, receive the forgiveness that comes from the man that put on the same human skin that you wear with dirt between his feet and tears in his eyes for a people that are lost like sheep without a shepherd. Receive forgiveness from that one. Jesus continued, and he said to the Pharisees, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has uh, the authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he went up and got home. And the people that were there gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. Brothers and sisters, the character of our God is one of this mercy and always has been. And I know that some of us in here have read the scriptures. Some of us in here have participated in many different churches, have come from many different backgrounds. Some of us may have even participated in other religious things, just trying to figure out what works. I know. But the amazing thing is that there's a very small group of people that are left embittered by the work of Christ. And the reason why is because it questions their religiosity It doesn't question their skepticism. It questions their trying to be morally good and perfect on their own standing and them trying to live for God according to the standards. It doesn't correct the fact that they doubt. (laughs) The mercy of God is received by the weak person and by the overly religious person. In fact, while the religious crowd was out there sneering, it left the common crowd asking this question, that the scriptures ask a lot, who is this king of glory? Who is this king? Jesus lived out every word that he preached. He's being persecuted for his teaching, and yet where he works, there's life. When Jesus puts his hands to work, there's miracles of healing, and sin is defeated, and ultimately we're justified before a holy and righteous God who sets his affections on us in Christ. That the way God feels about you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the way God feels about you is the way he feels about Jesus. And I don't know if you know how secure that is, but Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, okay? Which means the way he feels about you, God essentially feels about himself. Makes sense for people made in his image, right? I'm going to call you to another thing. I'm going to call you to believe that Jesus heals our brokenness. 
believe that this morning. And I'm not talking about just mentally ascending to that truth. What I'm telling you is, in the midst of your brokenness, trust me, we will all fail today, okay? Let me just help you get that off your chest. It's going to happen. We will all fail today. You will walk out these doors, and the facade will end, and you will fail. When you do, when the leg gets broken, and you find yourself limping, and you got to fall, you're falling into the arms of Jesus. That's what I'm telling you to do this morning. When you open the scriptures, you're not looking for a remedy, a quick fix. You're looking for a long-lasting physical therapist. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Trust me, he knows the pain. He took the nails. He put the crown on. His blood was shed, and it was your purification. Jesus heals our brokenness. And the gospel is not good news for those who can fix themselves. Because no one can. The gospel is not good news for those that are better off in life than others. Because our sinful status puts us before God all at a level playing field. Personally, my wife Rebecca and I have been through more than enough trial over the last year and a half to know that we can't present ourselves to Jesus with any kind of list of good reasons why he should bless us. We are very broken people. We've actually been at Redeemer for almost a year now. Time kind of flies. And a lot of y'all have seen us through this past year. We're a hot mess. Like really hot. It's, it's bad. It's on fire. All right? Just want you to know. What a better word for this season. Brother, sister, friend, like, did you know that you could come to Jesus and be a hot mess? Like, I mean, I know that you probably posted that on Instagram or Facebook somewhere, all right? I get that you probably said that, and you probably might not have believed it in the moment. You just thought it sounded cute. Um, but did you know? Like, Jesus is taking a line of people that are a hot mess. Jesus takes prostitutes into the kingdom who've had five husbands of heaven. Let me ask you another weird question. Do you think of your home as a means of God's grace to people? I want to read a quote that comes from Rosaria Butterfield's book entitled The Gospel Comes with the House Key. Here's what she says. Are Christians victim of this post-Christian world? No. Sadly, Christians are co-conspirators. We embrace modernism's perks when they serve our own lust and selfish ambition. We despise modernism when it crosses lines of our precious moralism. Our cold and hard hearts, our failure to love the stranger, our selfishness with our money, our time, and our home, and our privileged back turned against window, widows, orphans, prisoners, and refugees mean we're all guilty in the face of God of withholding love and Christian witness. 
And even more serious is our failure to read our Bibles well enough to see that the creation ordinance and the moral law found first in the Old Testament is as binding to the Christian as any red letter. Our own conduct condemns our witness. And then she goes on to say, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a way that daily seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. Guys, you know, it's amazing. Um, I don't know how many of you know this. I think a lot of you actually know this, but Jesus had to get the words, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength from somewhere. Um, And since Old Testament God is angry, I guess he wouldn't say that except for the fact that he did in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So, you know, just saying. Uh, guys, the world's idea of social justice, they don't know this, but we should know this, uh, comes from half of the book of Leviticus. You know, the book that nobody likes to read because apparently it's terrible, even though it has the year of Jubilee in it. I don't know about y'all. I would like a whole year of no taxes. I think that'd be great. And I would like a lot of years of loving my neighbors myself. That's why we call you guys to it every week. Jesus may have been inside Matthew's home, with Matthew's friends, but he invited Matthew and his friends to a home that apart from Jesus, they would never know. And this is our last point for today. To be saved by Jesus is to dwell with him. To be saved by Jesus is to dwell with Jesus. It's not to have Jesus occasionally. It's not to fit him in your calendar. It is to dwell with Jesus. It is not when you feel like it. It's not when you're feeling extra Christian that day, okay? It's to dwell with Jesus because he's not thinking twice about whether or not he's going to dwell with you in the midst of your darkness. When you go behind closed doors to do things you should not do, When you see the opportunity to feed somebody and you'd rather say, but I want to keep that for myself because I'm getting Starbucks in the morning. That probably hurt somebody. I'm so sorry. I've done it. Don't worry. I mean, my goodness, how many people could we have brought to church this morning if we were not scared of being the religious person? At least this is religion that works, people. At least this is religion that actually lives itself out. It's not just a contest to something that they're afraid of. To be saved by Jesus is to dwell with Jesus. Let me give you guys a kind of condensed version of the gospel story to remind yourself of that truth. You see, Jesus actually made his home with us when he descended to earth from his throne in heaven. And in active obedience to the redemptive plan of God, Jesus put on human flesh and tabernacled. That means he made his home among us, the sin-sick people of the earth that wanted nothing to do with God. We were purposely rebellious and headed for eternal separation from the holy presence of our creator, Jesus, the only one who could rescue us. He took on our sinfulness in his body by taking the full wrath of God on the cross, convicted as a criminal, even though it should have been us, and he descended to death. He rose after 
three days of death and was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of our triune Godhead. And he moved in power among his disciples, giving them power to testify to his resurrection, proclaiming his rule and reign over all of his kingdom. This is the message of the gospel of God and of glory that we proclaim. This is the message that we tell sinners who are poor and needy. This is the message that we tell to the people who are broken and came in this morning thinking that Jesus could not fix them. Because the picture that we have now witnessed is that Jesus took a man that literally couldn't move or speak and he made him get up and go. Before everyone who hated Jesus... He was not worried about his own life. If Jesus would have ever been worried about his own life, who is God, by the way, so he ain't worried about nothing. If Jesus would have worried about his own life, he would have actually been the kind of God that some of us this morning sometimes think he is to leave us to stew in our mess. And he did not. He put on flesh He felt hunger pangs. He has dirt between his fingernails from working a second-rate job with his father. He walked around with nothing. Even foxes have holes, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. And he did it for you. The book of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, The joy of knowing that every single one of us, individually and as a corporate body, would be rescued. He went with joy to the cross that he despised and felt shame on. If I have any application for you, it's this. Participate in Jesus' community. Three things. Come to church on Sunday, not because your Southern Baptist inclination tells you to, not because your church background growing up as a kid tells you to, it's because he's here. He is present right now, determining whether or not I'm doing a good job of telling his story to you and determining whether or not you're going to obey him in receiving it. And he's ready to hold your hand as you walk in obedience to him. (laughs) Secondly, the way in which we do discipleship here at Redeemer, we have D groups. Join one. Why? Because the way we spend our time is encouraging each other on this pilgrim way of following Jesus. We read the story of God in the scriptures. We help ourselves fall in love with this word of life. Lastly, God meets you in the secret places. Pray. Pray with others. Pray in your home. Pray at all times. He's ready to meet with you. The last part of the scene I'm going to leave you guys with. The Pharisees are really livid at this point. Because now Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And his response is so simple. But it's so relieving when it falls on the right ears and the right heart. He simply says, it is not those who need a doctor, 
that are well. It's those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. And quoting Hosea, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't call, come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your name be made great. We thank you that Jesus has come not for the righteous, but sinners. For Lord, you know the way of the righteous, but the way of the righteously religious will perish. The way of those who scoff at you and say that there is no one like you for real will perish. But you say that people who you call righteous will be like a tree planted by flowing streams that produce fruit in the season you say so and whose leaf never withers despite the harshness of that season. Lord, help us to come to you for healing. Help us to remember that you forgive sin and help us to participate well in your community. Lord, I thank you for every person in this place who came here this morning. For Lord, it was not by accident, but it was by your grace and mercy that you have revealed yourself to them. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. We thank you. Amen. I call you to stand and worship the Lord in response to this great news that we've heard this morning of the healing that we receive and the forgiveness of sin that God grants in Christ.